Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with a phenomenal author and a brilliant mind. As you know, that is indicative of the Philippe Matthews Show. And he is the author of The Essential Armchair Guide to Winning Survivor. His name is Larry Richardson, and he is a phenomenal cat. Larry, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Philippe, for having me. Well, you know, this is one of the most popular uh, reality shows in the world. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, it was the beginning uh, of reality shows. Mark Burnett is an absolute genius, and this show has endured, uh, what, 20-some-odd years? Yeah, 22 seasons. I, I uh, had to get on the Internet to just see how it compares to some of the other uh classic long-running TV series like Gunsmoke and Bonanza, uh, The Lucy Show. Uh, it has outlasted all of those. In 22 seasons, uh, it's uh, lasted uh, longer than many of the primetime shows and uh, continues to do terrific in the ratings with a viewership, a weekly viewership of over 11 million. Isn't that something? That is amazing. Well, I think it's because it's a, it's a testament to the fascination uh, as well as the power of human behavior. Oh, uh, absolutely. When I, when I first was intrigued by the, what I thought was the premise of the show, that you throw, throw 16 people on a remote tropical island to fend for themselves and the last man standing wins. I thought, well, that's, a, that, you know, that's an interesting idea. It might be watchable. But then when I found out that people aren't, don't quit because they become exhausted or fatigued, they're voted off by their tribe mates, and then I realized, wait a minute, this is not an endurance challenge, this is a social experiment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then it became very interesting to see what people are willing not only to endure themselves to win a million dollars, but what are they willing to do to each other, to their fellow players, to win that pot of gold. And it is absolutely amazing, in the 20-some-odd years, we've seen just things that, you know, drop our jaws, you know, just jaw-dropping, you know, behaviors. Oh, oh, absolutely. Uh, Stunning uh, deceit and uh, betrayal and manipulating human emotions in an attempt uh, thinking that that's what's going to uh, get me to the end and is going to get me across the finish line first. And what some players never stop to realize is that crossing the finish line in this game first is not what gets you the million dollars because Mm -hmm. the people you voted off sit as a jury and they get to decide whether you're worthy or not and that's when the cutthroat double-crossing behavior comes back to bite the people who thought that's how you win in life you know what's also fascinating about the show is that 
the the individual uh, discovers, I believe, who they really are at the core because the show, in the way it is designed, uh, will challenge behaviors that you might not show in everyday life, uh, uh, even in a marriage for 20 or 30 years. But somehow on that show, it brings out uh, your true neural network dominant beliefs and behaviors. Yeah, for sure. It, when I was growing up in high school and I played high school football and basketball, I used to tell people, if you want to know what somebody's like, get them out on a basketball court or get them out on a football field. But really what that means is you find out what somebody's really made of when they're under duress. And this show really puts people under duress. They get sleep-deprived. Uh, they are... They have meager provisions of food. Their social network is is completely shattered, and uh, they freak out. And some of these players literally uh, can't take it. Uh, and uh, eight players in the history of the game just simply said, I, I can't play this game anymore, I quit. So it, it really puts people under a pressure cooker, and that's when you find out what they're made of. You know, in many ways, uh, it's, I consider Survivor to be, uh, in terms of how it is designed and the pressure that it does put one under, I, I, I you know, uh, put it uh, analogous to military grade. I mean, it's just hardcore when you are in a situation like that where you're sleep deprived, you're hungry, you're miserable, you're under extreme duress, and you still have to function and perform. My goodness. Yeah, it, I mean, it is. I mean, the only thing left uh, undone is that uh, the producers can't torture you. Uh, but uh, these players are are really uh, they're tortured in a way by their fellow players by the way that they are manipulated and abused and lied to, and it creates such bitter, hard feelings. I, I just felt so badly for some of the players who were uh, manipulated so shamelessly in some of the seasons that you know, we can talk about, but uh, the, the wonderful news is that uh, at the end, the worst deceit and manipulative behavior is rarely ever rewarded by the jury. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, that you bring up an interesting point, Larry, in that uh, uh, one, you go in and you discover, you know, who you are. But secondly, you come out of there forever changed, and you really can't go back to the way things were prior to your arrival on the show. No, no. A lot of players have uh, have admitted that it was it was life changing for them. Uh, it's it's something when uh, you go through such a, a stressful uh, personal ordeal like this that you really find out what your limits are and you find out what you didn't think you were able to do. You find out, no, wait a minute, my, my limits are not what I thought they were. Uh, I can do much more than I really realized. Uh, and this show is what uh, helped make that happen. Well, what I love about the book, and we're also going to get into your background and delve into some actual uh, 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 meat and potatoes, if you will, of the book. But what I love about this book is that the uh, techniques, processes, and behaviors that uh, you talk about uh, to win Survivor, in actuality, uh, can be used in business and in life, period. Oh, yeah, it, it's... It 
it really tells a, a an interesting tale when you find out what players think it takes to win this game. Early on uh, in, in the uh, fourth season, uh, one of the players by the name of Tammy uh, said, uh, and uh, let me quote it to you, she said, I've always been up front about the way I was going to play this game. I said all along I was going to lie, I was going to cheat, I was going to do whatever it took to win. That was her view of how you win this game. And, of course, she didn't win. She ended the game in seventh place. But what a stark contrast from another player who was asked by one of the jurors, can you name me five qualities that's needed to win the game of Survivor? And listen to what she said. Respect, thoughtfulness, flexibility, understanding, and love. Wow. That's what she thought it took to win the game of Survivor. That sounds like life to me. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Well, you know, what's fascinating also uh, about this work that you have comp- uh, compiled uh, is your background. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that looking at your background, I don't know who else uh, other than possibly Mark Barnett could write this book uh, <laughs> in the most succinct manner. You you have a background in uh, persuasion theory, uh, and uh, I believe you have a, a PhD or dissertation was in hostage negotiation. How did that come about? Well, uh, I've always been fascinated in human behavior uh, and and what it takes to uh, to persuade people to behave in certain ways. And, and uh, in graduate school uh, at the University of Southern California, I studied persuasion theory and actually. I uh, got my Ph.D. in that discipline, and my dissertation was the preparation of a training manual for hostage negotiating, which is really the real-world application for uh, gaining compliance from people who are in a very hostile uh, pressure cooker situation. Mm-hmm. And that's what really sparked my interest when I saw Survivor come along. I said, this is really an application of what I've been studying all these years in the academic world, here are people that need to know how do I persuade someone to vote the way I need them to vote so that I can win. And I was amazed at people who probably never studied uh, Aristotelian logic or persuasion theory were using persuasive strategies that date all the way back to Aristotle. It's, it was really quite amazing. Well, why, why did you decide to write the book uh, now uh, at this time? Well, I, I, again, I, I was a huge fan of the show for years and years and years, watched every season, sat down in front of the TV, uh, found myself uh, barking out orders to the players on TV as though they could hear me saying, no, don't do this, do that. And, and after about 18 seasons of seeing what gets people voted off, what it is that helps people make a deep run in the game, I thought the game pretty well had been figured out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Everybody pretty much should know, you do this, you're going to get voted off. You do that, you're going to stay in the game. The target is going to stay off your back. But in Season 19, I was stunned at how many boneheaded plays were being made by people who should have known better, and I was just shocked. And I said to myself, 
Did, have they never watched this show? Uh, have people just not been paying attention? And then I thought, maybe we need to actually write this stuff down, because it's, it's never been written down. Here's what you need to do to win Survivor. This is the strategies that will get you uh, deep in the game. These are the mistakes that will cost you a million dollars. And uh, when I did my research and found out, no, nobody's ever written a uh, an instructional manual on how to do this, I said, well... Let's get to it. I mean, I remember uh, after season five, one uh, person asked uh, Jeff Probst, is there anything I could read that would help prepare me to be a, a, a more competitive player? And Jeff said, well, uh, all I could recommend would be uh, a book by John Nash, who is a theoretical mathematician that's titled, uh, you know, non uh, non uh, centrifugal uh, uh, game theory, and it was just so hypothetical, I said to myself, this can't be all there is that's available. And that's oh. when I decided I'm going to write it down. I'm going I'm to explain from beginning to end uh, how you need to win this game. Well, you know, I, I, I just find you uh, one of the most fascinating persons on the planet because uh, I, I love your, your, your thought process and, and uh, your methodology. How long did it take you to compile the research, and what was your research process to, to uh, produce this work? How long did it take? Uh, it probably took me about a year to, to actually write the book. Uh, I had been thinking of it for years, and at first I just started making making notes. I would take note tablets and say, okay, what strategies uh, trend uh, to be successful? And I, and I literally, even though I'd seen the show, I went back and literally watched every season all over again and started seriously uh, scoring uh, what happens when you do this. Who gets voted off first? Uh, who never seems to have a target on their back? And after 21 seasons, there are some really obvious, clear trends uh, that you can say pretty safely, if you do this, uh, you're likely to stay deep in the game. If you do this, you're dead meat. Uh, and But to get it all down on paper and to do a lot of the really detailed uh, calculations, uh, the whole thing took about a year. Wow, that's amazing. You know, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, how Survivor uh, is analogous to hostage negotiation, puts people under a pressure cooker uh, at the highest levels of stress. And another, well, you obviously have you have the science part down, but you also have the art uh, part down uh, in terms of working under pressure because you're a third-degree black belt in, in uh, karate. Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? Well, I, it, I've always uh, had a real interest in athletic um, activities and sports activities, uh, played uh, sports in high school and college, uh, was an avid outdoors person, backpacker, mountain climber, uh, and the martial arts was a real self-challenge for me uh, because it, it's it's really one of those uh, activities that, ch that challenges you physically, emotionally, and mentally, and uh, it was a, it was a test. It, it was a a physical um, ultimate 
challenge for me to to reach that point and uh, was full of lessons along the way. And having had that experience, that that was another reason that drew me to Survivor because Survivor has such a physically challenging element to it. Mm-hmm. It, it appears to me that the, the individual uh, that uh, has a propensity to apply for Survivor uh, has uh, uh, somewhat of a higher level of uh, uh, mind, body, and spirit connection. I mean, they, they really have to be working together, all three of those things working together. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've watched over the years to see what kind of players do the producers tend to uh, choose. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, the, the majority of players are young. They're in their 20s and 30s, uh, and, and I certainly understand that. A very small percentage of people are chosen who are in their 50s. In fact, only uh, a slightly over 8% of all the contestants who've ever played uh, are over the age of 50. One, and, you know, I, I think... A lot of that is because people in their 50s are saying, you know, I'm not up to this. Uh, this is a young man's game. But it's uh, it's not a young man's game. It, uh, a 57-year-old uh, man um, has won this uh, survivor competition. It, it's not a game for the brawny, um, but it does definitely challenge everyone uh, physically. Well, let's get into some of the meat and potatoes of the book. Uh, as we've done, I think, a, a, a you know a quality setup here to to get people to understand what it what it takes to to uh, think like uh, Survivor uh, and to uh, incorporate some of these behaviors. But you, you you say in the book that if you don't take the game seriously, you might as well consider it a vacation uh, and a short one. <laughs> yeah, and a short one at that. <laughs> I love that. I love that because this is not a game for, you know, people who are not seriously serious because it's going to challenge you on levels that you've never thought you you, you knew about. Yeah, and some players never get it, uh, and they become disenchanted and and weary uh, very quickly, and their their own uh, natural inclinations take over, and they become isolated and angry and frustrated. And they're antisocial, and guess what? They get voted off real quick by the other players. Uh, it, it, it does require your full concentration, and you have to you have to treat it not like a vacation, but like what Brian Heideck called it in season five. This is a business trip, so treat it seriously from the from it, the moment you get up till the moment you go to bed, and even. At night when you're sleeping, who you sleep next to, next to has to have a strategic consideration. You, you talk about that. You said the single most powerful tool needed to win the game of Survivor is the creation and of uh, uh, preservation of alliances. Uh, yes. Uh, it was something that, that uh, Richard Hatch cooked up in the very first season as a way to try to figure out how to protect himself from getting voted off. He just couldn't figure out, what am I going to do uh, to stay in this game? And he uh, finally, uh, he said he just, he hatched this idea of let's get a couple, three or four players together and let's all decide together who we're going to vote for so that we're voting for somebody else and not for us. I mean, that's the heart and soul of an alliance. Uh, And because alliances have become so powerful in, the, in deciding the outcome of the game, 
the use of alliances has dominated every season of Survivor. You hear players talk about it all the time. I got to get in an alliance from the very first day. We got to we got to line our people up. Uh, and it's true, and the producers know how powerful it is because uh, at the uh, beginning of season three, they started tribe swapping uh, in a way to try to break up alliances and make the game more unpredictable and interesting. Mm. You, you, you talk about there's three levels of alliances. Can you can you uh, describe those? Yes. Well, the. The very, very, uh, sim- the most simple type of an alliance is just a little friendly handshake agreement between two players to just say, you know, I like you, you like me. Let's not vote against each other. Uh, I'm not going to try to tell you who to vote for, but just as a show of, uh, of goodwill, I'm not ever going to vote for you, and just and you're not going to vote for me. That's a really uh, simple alliance. It doesn't affect the outcome of the game very strongly. Um, but it is a way to try to start building um, some protection around yourself. Mm-hmm. A, a second level of alliance is similar to the first one. We have two players who said, I'm not going to bo- ever vote your name on a tablet. You're never going to vote my name on a tablet. And let's, let's decide in unison who we are going to vote for, and let's, let's vote in concert uh, always. And you'll find several examples of that uh, all the way down um, every season. Uh, Survivor Marquesas in season four, Pascal and Neela were um, probably the most bonded uh, two-person alliance there was. Uh, she just thought he he hung the moon, and, and he thought she was the cutest little thing. I mean, it wasn't a romantic kind of thing, but it was it was a, a, a very endearing um, affection they held for each other, and they literally voted in concert all season long. That kind of alliance is tough to overcome because to overcome a two-person block, you've got to have three people who are going to vote contrary to those two people. Uh, and... That's very disruptive to the harmony of a tribe, and most players don't want to create confrontation, and they're going to just say, oh, it's not worth it. You know, we'll just we'll vote with this voting block. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The third uh, and the most dangerous alliance is the alliance that, where the group not only uh, will never vote against each other, and they're going to, we're going to work together to orchestrate our vote, and we're going to try to solicit the cooperation from non-alliance members to vote with us becomes the third and most dangerous level of alliance. And when that group gets to be four people strong, it's almost unbeatable. Mm-hmm. It's okay. unbeatable as long as they stay together. But if anyone has watched this show from season to season, they see how fluid alliances are, how easily uh, alliances are shattered, uh, for lack of trust, uh, and how strong alliances are uh, when people hold together all the way to the very end. You used the analogy of the prisoner's dilemma. Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, flush that out for us for those who haven't read the book yet. Well, I found it a very apt com- uh, comparison. The prisoner's dilemma, you may see it uh, put into effect in, in crime dramas. I see it used on TV from time to time. Imagine you've got two criminals who committed a crime, and there's enough evidence to uh, bring the police detective to question them, and they 
the police detective splits them apart and tells one person, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure you did the crime, but I don't have enough to convict you. But if you'll testify against your friend, I will give you immunity, and I will throw the book at him, and he'll get 10 years. But I will warn you, I'm going to make the same offer to him. If he testifies against you, I'm going to give him immunity. I'm going to throw the book at you. And if it just so happens that you both testify against each other, I've got enough to convict you both, and you'll both go to jail. Mm -hmm. That's the prisoner's dilemma. Shall I talk or shall I stay quiet? If I talk, I might go free, but we might both go to jail. Mm -hmm. And the other guy's thinking the same thing. That situation, the safest and the most trusting outcome is for both players to remain silent, but it's a very high-risk maneuver because if you remain silent and your partner squeals on you, he goes free and you get 10 years of prison, whatever. In, Sur in Survivor, alliances uh, are tested in very similar ways because non-members will come to alliance members individually to try to break up the alliance. And they will say, if you will turn on your player, uh, we will include you in our alliance. But I'm just going to tell you the same thing. I'm going to go to the other members of the alliance, and I'm going to see if I can get them to turn on you. So whoever turns on each other first is going to stay in the game. The ones who try to stay loyal are going to get voted off. That's a tough test for people who are playing the game of Survivor to know what to do. Absolutely, as well as it's a tough game in real life and in business. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in business, in life, in Survivor, the secret to this game is trust. Establishing trust and being trustworthy uh, mm -hmm. is a powerful tool that will propel you deep into the game. But trust also uh, can, um, you can be played for the fool by being trusting uh, and get voted off. Uh, it's, it's such a scary um, environment. You know, who can I trust? And how risky is it to trust others? Because there have been players voted off because they trusted their fellow players and it cost them the game. You, you say look for obvious signs of developing alliance. Yes. Uh, obvious signs. Well, if, you're, if you see that the power of an alliance uh, is so great that you do want to build your own, but at the same time you want to make sure you disrupt the creation of any uh, counter-alliance or any competing alliance and how you can detect that alliances are forming is, is really how, do you, how can you tell that relationships are building between people. If you see two players that are spending a lot of time together, maybe going for long walks on the beach you know, in Survivor, or they sit next to each other at the campfire when it's mealtime, or they sleep next to each other at night, uh, you can pretty well tell uh, these two are forming an alliance and we need to squelch it. We need to stop it as quick as we can because a two-person alliance is a very strong alliance in that game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if anyone has watched the game, the Rob and Amber alliance should be a lesson to everyone from Survivor <laughs> All-Stars. Uh, incredible. You, you say Survivor is a social game and it's about learning how you play the social game, and you talk about three basic elements uh, in the social game as it relates to Survivor. Yeah, uh, yeah. Speak to us about that. Uh, well, ultimately, the the jury, the one of the biggest trends in in the outcome.
outcome of Survivor is that the most likable player wins the million dollars. Not necessarily the most likable of the original 16 competitors, but the most likable person who's facing the jury vote. And how you become the most likable person is part of what makes up your social game. Mm -hmm. And your social game is really what is going to decide whether you win or lose. And the social game is made up of three components. First of all, it's made up of your work ethic. When you're in camp, how willing a worker are you? If you're a lazy worker who sits around, lets everybody else collect the wood, find the food, uh, build the camp and the shelter, and you lay around and do nothing, you're likely to get voted off. It, it, it's a very strong trend that lazy people at camp uh, get the boot. Mm -hmm. so your work ethic is what endears you to your tribe. You don't want to be someone that the tribe is glad to have gone. You want to be a person that the tribe is glad when you're there. So mm -hmm. if you're willing to help out, that makes you valuable. So work ethic is the, is the first component of your social game. The second component of your social game is how well do you manage your interpersonal skills? Are you friendly? Do you make friends? Do you chat with people? Or do you isolate yourself from other players because you just don't get along with them and you don't want to get along? There was one player in one season that she didn't talk to anybody because she just didn't like them. And one of her friends came up to her while she was sitting alone and said, you know, you, you haven't talked to anybody in the tribe all season. And, and her answer was, well, why should I? They're all retarded. Well, <laughs> That's who the first person voted off that tribe was. She was. Yeah, yeah. And so your interpersonal skills are, are what are going to propel you into the game, make you likable by the other players, and, and have them want to have you around. The third component, which is, is really overlooked and needs to be stressed, is what I call your vote-off code of ethics. Now, who you vote off, uh, impacts your strategic game, but mm -hmm. how you vote them off impacts your social game. If you lie to players about who you're going to be voting off, or you make promises that you don't keep, uh, or you backstab or blindside or betray players, that can come back seriously to bite you with the jury. Mm -hmm. You have to have a decent code of ethics in the way that you vote people off. Everybody knows that everyone's going to have to get voted off. And if I get voted off, I realize that's part of the game. But if somebody voted me off in a malicious, conniving, deceitful way, I may harbor a grudge uh, because um, they were so cruel or heartless about it that I may deny them my vote. Mm -hmm. uh, and so how you vote players off uh, is an important part of your social game and will affect how the jury views you in the end. Well, you say uh, the, the golden rule of survivors, do unto others before <laughs> they do it unto you. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a practical rule. Uh, you can't just sit there and wait for the game to happen to you. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate that there are too many players who just sit and wait to be told what to do. They ask, who are we going to vote off? You know, when Jerry Manthe... Uh, in the Survivor All-Stars, just as they were getting ready to go to tribal council, she grabs her torch uh, and she asks one of the uh, fellow players walking to the jury, who are we voting for tonight? I said to myself, Jerry, you are not long for this game. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're waiting to take instructions, 
the, the tribe will keep you around just as long as they need to, and then you know what? They're going to be voting you off pretty soon. Amazing, amazing. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. We were talking um, uh, before our, our formal interview here about, you know, uh, lying and, and deception. And obviously it is a, uh, a part of human behavior. Uh, is there ever a time when uh, it is necessary? Because obviously, you know, most of the uh, people who have uh, uh, utilized that strategy have not one uh, survivor, but there yeah. have been instances where it has uh, assisted them in some ways. Yeah, uh, most of the players that get into this game uh, have accepted the fact that a certain amount of deceit is is necessary to play this game, and everyone, for the most part, will allow uh, and forgive a, a, a low level of deceit. Let me give you an example of a fairly low level of deceit. Uh, Gary Hogaboom, uh, ex-NFL quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, was a player in Season 11 in Guatemala. Well, he had hoped that people wouldn't recognize who he was just by looking at his face, and he introduced himself as Gary Hawkins, a landscaper, because he <laughs> didn't want anyone to know that he was a millionaire from uh, his NFL experience because he was afraid they would immediately vote him off uh, because they figured he didn't need the money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's a certain amount of deceit, mm -hmm. you know, lying to your own players about who you are, uh, but it's fairly low level, and I and, and I think it, um, as the game progresses, it's fairly forgivable and understandable. But high levels of deceit uh, have been so um, extreme that the juries have punished them. Uh, one gal in um, uh, one season was asked very pointedly, "Are you going to vote me, vote with me, or vote against me?" And she said, "Oh, I'm going to vote with you." And he asked her to swear. I want you to swear that you are going to vote with me. And she said, oh, I swear. No, I want you to really, really uh, make me believe you. And so she literally said, I swear on the lives of my children that I will vote with you. She was basically saying, if I am lying to you, may God strike my children dead. And he, what could he do except believe her at that point? That's pretty serious promise. Mm -hmm. She was flat-out lying and voted against him, and he got voted off. Well, the jury remembered that. Mm -hmm. And at the end, she made it all the way to the final jury, but the, the jury looked at her and said, no, you crossed the line. Mm -hmm. That was a level of deceit that transcends human decency. Mm -hmm. We will not reward you for that. Mm -hmm. And she was denied the prize. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, let's talk about leadership styles, uh, Larry, and uh, tribe leaders versus alliance leaders. Yes. Uh, there are different kinds of leaders, and I think if you uh, watch the game from season to season, you've noticed that players are scared to death to be voted the leader of the tribe. Uh, <laughs> right. No, I don't want to be leader. Uh, and, they, and they flat out say it because the trend is clear. Leaders tend to get voted off. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and I've asked myself, well, why is that? Is there something inherently uh, negative about being a tribe leader? And, and the, the truth is there isn't, except for the way that you go about uh, approaching leadership. If you're like uh, Russell Hands, uh, where you, you assume the dictator role, 
and you basically say, as a leader, I'm going to tell my tribe what to do. I'm not, I'm not going to ask them or uh, invite discussion. I am going to issue orders, mm-hmm. and this is the way it's going to be. Well, those kind of players do get voted off uh, because people don't have the temperament to endure that kind of abuse, and they just say, no, we don't need you. You're too bossy. Uh, season 9 was another example. Yolanda, in the very beginning of the game, uh, as the tribe was just trying to put the camp together, she stood up without anybody asking, and she said, okay, here's, the, here's an edict for the tribe. For every two hours we work, we are going to rest for one hour. That's what everybody's going to do. And they all looked at her like, well, who put you in charge? <laughs> Why are you telling us what to do? And guess who the first one voted off that tribe was? It was Yolanda. <laughs> uh, now, you can still be a very effective leader, but if you are more of a facilitator leader or or you ask for input from the tribe, you don't make unilateral decisions, but you may come to the tribe and say, look, we need to decide where is the best place to put the camp. Uh, let's all put our heads together and decide as a group. Then your role as leadership is to just kind of... Um, get everyone to focus on a problem and let's all come up with a group decision. Those kinds of leaders uh, are welcomed uh, and they show good social skills uh, and help keep the the tribe organized because the tribe does appreciate leadership but they don't appreciate being bullied and so you have to be careful what leadership style you take. So that leadership style, obviously, people love to have buy-in because they, it makes them feel like their decision, their opinion, uh, matters. Exactly. And talk about application to the business world. Uh, yeah. Nobody really uh, embraces the dictator leader that says, here's what we're going to do, and I don't care what you think. This is what I say we're going to do. You know, workers don't really uh, respond to that well. But when you get someone who says, okay, we got a problem, uh, let's get our heads together and let's come up with a decision, when everyone participates in the solution, they become invested in the outcome, uh, and they certainly don't resent the leader for uh, helping move the process along. You know, one of the uh, brilliant parts of this book um, is – when you break down uh, some of the other winning styles uh, yes. and you, you name them out, and I just thought that it was brilliant. I have read so many psychology books, I can't even begin to tell you. And in that uh, chapter, uh, you basically uh, flush out every single style that is necessary to to win on the show and in life and in business, uh, in relationship, so on and so forth. So let's talk about a couple of the styles uh, that that uh, you brought out. One was called you, you named the entertainer. Yeah, the, the entertainer is the person who is going to endear himself to the tribe by making them laugh, by being uh, the Jerry Lewis uh, of the tribe. Uh, He's going to crack jokes at the campfire. Uh, he's going to tell funny stories. Uh, he's going to uh, try to lighten the mood of the group uh, as often as he can. Uh, Gary uh, Buse in the in the very first season uh, really played the role of the entertainer. And, and believe it or not, Johnny Fairplay uh, saw himself as the entertainer uh, when he played. Uh, there are players that uh, that just think if I can be the jester. 
uh, I can uh, endear myself to the tribe, and uh, it will allow me to stay a long time. And even uh, oh, Fabio in season 21, who ultimately won the game, uh, he, he, to a certain extent, um, played the entertainer role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you also talk about one called the laid-back surfer dude. Oh yeah. Well, that was uh, that's been tried by a few players, but I think Fabio perfected it. Uh, the laid-back surfer dude is the, is the guy who doesn't seem to really be strategic, uh, and he just kind of is there, and he just wants to have fun. Uh, we're gonna just kick back. Uh, I'm not stressed out. I don't really. I'm not gonna run around uh, strategizing. Um, I'm gonna just kind of uh, chill out here, um, lay out in the sun. The laid-back surfer dude was Fabio. Uh, he uh, really made it work, never was part of an alliance to speak of, and was never viewed as a threat by anyone. And yeah. that's what really protected him for so long in the game is that he was such a likable, good-hearted, uh, well-natured kid that uh, we've got other threats that really need to be taken care of before we worry and deal with him. And before it was too late, he shucked off that uh, laid-back surfer dude role, and he became uh, the athlete, which is another style of play. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't realize this kid is pretty athletic, and he won the last three individual immunity challenges, including the final immunity challenge, that protected him from ever getting voted off. And, and here this alliance who thought they had the game locked up ended up having to vote each other off because they couldn't vote him off. And he went all the way to the jury, starting out with the laid-back surfer dude persona uh, and swapping that out, suddenly become the the jock athlete and um, went to the jury, uh, shed a few tears, was a a sweet kid, 21 years old, became the youngest ever uh, survivor winner at 21 years, one month. Wow, amazing. Amazing. The redneck hick uh, uh, was uh, interesting as well. Yeah, there have been a lot of them. They're kind of lovable guys, and I always look forward to a season that will have a couple of those. Uh, <laughs> Big Tom Buchanan in season three uh, in Africa it was uh, the kind of the, the, the redneck hick. He was a farmer. If you see you know, farmers or ranchers or, or uh, people from uh, the south maybe that have that kind of a southern twang, they use it to their advantage. Uh, because they think, you know, if I can just look unassuming and maybe not too threatening, um, I, I can make it. And uh, J.T. Thomas in season 18, Tokuchins, he took the, uh, the the good old southern boy uh, redneck persona all the way to the winner's circle. Amazing. Now you talk about the flirt and the slacker as well. Of course, I would assume the flirt is more geared well, toward the slackers, I, I never thought for a while that that was an actual deliberate strategy to win the game. I thought that was just lazy, uh, careless play, uh, because lazy players generally get voted off. Uh, but uh, Jean-Robert Balland uh, in uh, Survivor China used it as a serious strategy to help him win the game. His idea was, I'm going to start out being just a lazy, good-for-nothing guy and that people are not going to respect and not like it. I'm going to put in just the minimum amount of work so I don't get voted off. And as the game progresses, I'm going to pitch in more. I'm going to help out more. 
that people will suddenly say, hey, this guy is not quite so bad. He's a little bit more of a worker than we thought. And he said, I was going to take that all the way to the winner's circle, and I was going to point it out to you that that was a deliberate strategy of mine, and you wouldn't be able to resist but give me the million dollars. Unfortunately, he got voted off before he could prove it to be a winning strategy. Uh, amazing. And, of course, the flirt, which is usually uh, associated with females, but men can do it as well. It's, it, it, it is a strategy, and it is a powerful strategy, especially in the hands of women. That Probably the most notorious was poverty, uh, who in season 16, the women ruled that season. Uh, they just controlled the men. They flirted. Uh, turned on the emotions and uh, feigned affection for players, and the men just seemed like they were not equipped for that kind of strategy uh, and were systematically voted off by the women until the game got down to the end and there was five women and only one man left. Uh, it was a, a, a very stunning uh, revelation that uh, you know players need to be wary of is, uh, they may pretend they like you, but you've got to be careful. It might just be a strategy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, how, how about that for real life as well, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Trust, <laughs> trust, trust. <laughs> yes. Yeah, now, you talk about uh, also passive and aggressive behaviors, uh, and there's really a, there needs to be a balance, do you, do you believe, of both? Well, yeah, I think... Um, uh, Assertive play is what I tend to uh, endorse in the game of Survivor. Uh, active play as opposed to passive play. Active play is trying to um, to initiate action or try to uh, direct the flow of the game. I compare it to two people being in a boat. They're both floating down the same river, but the active player is the one holding on to the rudder, and mm -hmm. he's the one that's guiding the direction the boat goes. The other player that's not holding onto the rudder. He's the passive player. He's just going wherever the boat floats him down the river to. The active player wins the money. The passive player in Survivor rarely is rewarded uh, by the jury because they don't uh, consider passive play uh, to be significant or worthy of the prize. Uh, now, there's times to be passive. There are times to be flying under the radar uh, and to avoid notice and confrontations. Definitely, there are. Uh, go with the flow. Whatever the group wants to, whoever the group wants to vote off, I'll vote with whatever the group says. So there's definitely moments where you need to go with the flow, stay under the radar, and but then there are moments that you need to take a stand uh, if you're going to uh, make it in that game. Um, that's absolutely amazing. You, you know, this is really a book that I, I think uh, needs to be uh, in several categories <laughs> in the bookstore. It really, I, when I first wrote it, I thought, you know, I, I really should add another chapter to this book, uh, uh, what I would call Life Lessons from Survivor. Yeah. What I learned from Survivor and how it applies to life, uh, and then I realized, you know what, this could be a whole other book. Uh, oh. So yeah, it could belong in the business section, uh, personal development section, uh, the psychology section, uh, as well as the uh, TV uh, section of the bookstore. That's absolutely right. Well, what, what I predict for you is uh, that uh, you should write a series. 
uh, of these books and just apply it to various different scenarios in life. I think it would be absolutely brilliant. And in my opinion, in today's day and age, uh, I just think it's needed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, that, that's one of the things that uh, I have found so uh, rewarding about this TV show is how many teachable moments it offers uh, in human behavior and what it takes to really um, achieve success in your personal life as much as in this uh, game of um, cutthroat survivor. Absolutely. Well, well, my friend Larry uh, Richardson, I think that uh, you are and have proven to be a brilliant strategist, a brilliant mind, uh, and again, I do believe who else could have better written a book uh, about uh, all of the behaviors and psychological nuances of Survivor other than a man who, uh, you know, uh, is a hostage negotiator. Well, I, I appreciate it. I love the show. The 23rd season is just about to start, and I'm uh, uh, waiting with bated breath to see what happens next. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, meeting you and having you on the television show when you uh, come to town. Uh, and enjoy the uh, book tour. And uh, let's have a conversation soon, my friend. Thank you. Well, let's, uh, let's let folks know if they want to buy this book. It's available on Amazon.com or uh, Barnes & Nobles and many of the uh, fine bookstores everywhere. Absolutely. Thank you for that, my friend. All right. Thank you so much, Philippe. All right. Have a great one. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye. 